You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Good afternoon. I'm Jonathan Capehart, Associate Editor at The Washington Post. Welcome to Washington Post Live. After a two-year hiatus, the Mark Twain Prize for American Humor will be awarded at the Kennedy Center on April 24th. This year's awardee, John Stewart, known for merging comedy and politics. Joining me now are two men who are no strangers to comedy or the Twain Prize, actor and comedian Kevin Nealon and Cappy Magar, co-creator of the Mark Twain Prize for American Humor. Cappy and Kevin, welcome to Washington Post Live. Thank you, Jonathan. <clears throat> Thanks for having <clears throat> us. Hi, Cappy. Hi, Kevin. How are you? You were really good at the uh, honoring a... Uh, 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 Lauren Michaels at the Kennedy Center Honors when uh, you were you you killed that night. Oh, thank you. I had a lot of fun. It was great to see all those you know people from SNL and Lauren and you know President Biden. I mean, the list. I should have been too nervous to do it. <laughs> well, we're we're gonna get into into um, actually your your stint there, Kevin, uh, at the Twain Prize. But before we get there, Kathy, we have to talk, um, start the conversation off uh, uh, with your new book, the name of it being The Man Who Made Mark Twain Famous, stories from the Kennedy Center, the White House, and other comedy venues. And Kathy, you call Mark Twain our first stand-up comedian. What do you want people to know about Twain's humor that they might not have already known? Uh, Twain, as many people know, uh, uh, had gr two spectacular books, many, many other great books, but... Huckleberry Finn and Tom Sawyer were, were two great books. It made him a lot of money. And he invested in this teletype machine, which uh, he lost all of his money in. So he had to make money. So he went around to all of the uh, theaters around the United States and uh, did stand-up comedy. I mean, he told stories. He uh, told about co funny stories about Congress. He was self-effacing. And he really does have a an incredible uh, sense of humor and it was so effective and so important of all those who followed him. So Mark Twain, we thought it was very important to name the National War for Humor after Mark Twain because, you know, quite frankly, John Stewart epitomizes what Mark Twain stood for. He's a social commentary, uh, is is uh, John's uh, cornerstone, and also he's a very funny guy. Well, and I want to talk about John Stewart in, in a moment, but Cappy, you also you write about how the Mark Twain Prize for American Humor was conceived. Because there really is no no other honor for for comedians, do you think comedians aren't getting the credit they deserve? They do not, Jonathan. That's a very good point. Uh, you know, the Oscars are for movies. Uh, the uh, you know Emmys are for television. You know, we try to start something that would honor comedians. Comedians are so important in our lives. We've got too many problems in our everyday life. You know, we've got the Russia-Ukraine uh, uh, problems. We've got problems every day. And so it's really important for us to stop once a year and honor all of those who bring joy to our lives and bring humor to our lives. So uh, that's really one of the important reasons that the Mark Twain Prize exists is to honor our comedians, honors those who make us laugh, honor those, quite frankly, like Kevin. Um, one more one more question before I before I get get to you, Kevin. And just a second ago, uh, Cappy, you said that John Stewart, and, and if I'm remember right, he epitomizes Mark Twain. Talk a little bit more about that. Well, Twain was a you know he was a social commentary. Uh, he had social commentary. He was a very funny guy. He had a sense of humor. He he was a satirist, and and 
and John Stewart is that. I mean, he is a satirist. Uh, he has been very actively involved in, in uh, social uh, the social er arena, whether we're talking about the 9-11 uh, survivors or whoever we're talking about. John Stewart really does talk about the issues of the day, but he also does it in a very uh, satirical way. And his show, The Daily Show, had was so influ influential, so influential <clears throat> with every though all those who were on his show that he is really one of the most important uh, people in comedy today. So, Kevin, back to the question I asked a moment ago about whether comedian, comedians get the credit they deserve. You're a comedian. Do you get the credit you deserve, Kevin? Um, first of all, I'm very underrated. So I would say, <laughs> I would say no. <laughs> no, I, 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 certainly feel, I certainly feel like I am uh, appreciated and... Uh, and I, I, you know, I never thought I would be a professional comedian until I am one now. And so I'm really appreciative of all the, the credit I do get. And, um, you know, the, the people that really come out and you can tell how much they like you and, you know, appreciate you. I was on an airplane um, a couple of years ago and I just finished watching a kind of a sad movie. And then this woman came up to me. She knelt down next to my seat and she said, I just want to let you know um, that my best friend was going through cancer and it didn't look good, but you got her through all the difficult times. I got all choked up. You know, I thought, wow, you know, people do appreciate comedy and they do give you credit. So Kevin, then what is the key to good comedy? Well, you know, for me, it, it's got to be original. I like originality. I like um, uniqueness. When I first started out, my three major influences were Annie Kaufman, Albert Brooks, and Steve Martin, because I knew that they were so different from all the other comics. And so that's that's what I appreciated. And I kind of, you know, when I first started out, I kind of molded myself after those guys, where I tried to be unique <clears throat> and original. And um, and to this day, I still try to do that. But, you know, good comedy, I think, um, is it's subjective. You know, a lot of people like more the ranting comics. Other people like more the uh, laid back comics, you know. So <clears throat> I think it is subjective, but for me, I like uniqueness and originality. Mm -hmm. um, uh, what do you consider to be your greatest uh, strength comedically? I think my greatest strength is, you know, aside from being original, I think it's making the audience feel relaxed. And once they're relaxed, they're much more acceptable to what you have to offer and they trust you. And that's where I get them. I turn on them. <laughs> that is that is true. As someone who is a Kevin Nealon fan, I've often felt double crossed by you um, when I'm sitting there <laughs> listening to the joke and then get whoa. Um, yeah. But always, well, Gary, but all, but always funny. Gary, Gary Shandling uh, once told me, you know, your comedy sneaks up on people. You know, you're already on to the next bit, and they're getting finally getting the last bit. And that's what so I need. It, I need a time delay like we have now for my stand-up. <laughs> I need a time delay. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what for me. That's what makes comedy so fun is listening listening to the jokes. And as a writer, I'm I'm listening, but I'm listening to the writing and following along. And what makes a joke funny becomes hilarious to me when I follow when I follow the written arc of it. Um, but Kevin, you performed the night Eddie Murphy won the Twain Prize in 2015. Let's listen to a little bit of your performance. Tonight, all of this centers around someone 
for my money, I think is probably the funniest man who ever lived, Mark Twain. <laughs> I mean, how does he come up with this stuff? Ladies and gentlemen, tonight we are here to honor Eddie Murphy, and I must say, I find it remarkable just how much Mark Twain and Eddie Murphy have in common. I don't know if you know this, but Mark Twain was born during the year of Halley's Comet, and uh, in a rare occurrence, 76 years later, the day Mark Twain died, Halley's Comet streaked across the sky again. Now, here's where it gets eerie. The year that Eddie Murphy was born, his father was driving a Mercury Comet. <laughs> Wait, there's more. 25 years later, when Eddie lost his virginity in the back seat of that Mercury Comet <laughs> to a girl named Haley, <laughs> who later streaked across the parking lot. And that is the perfect example of what we were just talking about, about how you pull us in, all serious, and then you, you turn on us in, in a very comedic way. A, another uh, Twain Prize winner is Saturday Night Live creator Lorne Michaels. Um, he's discovered hundreds of comedians for decades. And, and Cappy, how important, how important is Michaels? in discovering comedians, so many of whom are household names, like the guy in the box below you. Well, I think Lorne Michaels is the most important uh, person in comedy in the last 50 years. I mean, you think of all the people that, that were on Saturday Night Live, Julie Dreyfus, uh, Eddie Murphy, uh, uh, Bill uh, Murray, I mean, go on and on and on, uh, Kevin, obviously. Uh, but Lorne is incredibly, in fact, is, there's very few people that have been honored by the the Mark Twain the Kennedy Center Mark Twain Prize for Humor and the Kennedy Center Honors. And Lauren Michaels is so incredibly important that he's uh, has been awarded both of those honors. He's incredibly incredibly important. And Kevin, you joined the cast of Saturday Night Live in 1986. Talk about your first encounter with Lauren Michaels. Well, my first encounter was the audition at 30 Rock which I don't really remember that much of. Um, but I remember walking into that studio. And as soon as I walked in, I got really tired because I remember I used to fall asleep watching that show. So it was an association thing. <laughs> but that was the first time, uh, that was the first time I kind of encountered Lorne. Uh, but I didn't really talk to him much. He was just sitting with the other, you know, ca cast members watching me. But <clears throat> I remember the first time I was about to do a sketch on SNL. It was called Mr. Subliminal. And it was a little, you know, intricate because I had two conversations going on at once. And we were away at commercial. And this is my first sketch ever on the show. And we're maybe five seconds away from commercial. I'm about to do my first sketch. And Lauren Michaels comes up alongside me. He puts his hand on my shoulder. And he says, are you sure this is what you want? <laughs> <laughs> so that was, uh, so that took my mind off of being so nervous. <laughs> now, is, is, is it true Dana Carvey is the one who introduced you to? Well, Dana and I um, shared a house in the Hollywood Hills with a couple other comics. And um, Dana, you know, he would live over the garage when he was in town. So he had a little studio apartment up there. So we used to uh, hang out a lot. And that summer, he got selected to be on SNL. This is back in the 1900s, Jonathan. <laughs> and he... Um, <laughs> <laughs> he goes off to New York. He goes off to New York, and I'm really happy for him. I, I couldn't be more proud. And here I know somebody that's going to be on SNL. Two weeks later, 
I get a phone call out of the blue from Dana. He goes, Kev, it's Dana. I'm out at Lorne Michaels' house in Long Island. I'm in the back bedroom. Guess who's in the kitchen? Bill Murray. I'm like, no way. He goes, yeah. <laughs> anyway, Lorne is looking for one more cast member. I told him about you. I think he's going to want to see your audition tapes. I'm like, Bill Murray's in the kitchen? <laughs> I wasn't even hearing the other stuff because I knew I never get on that show because I don't do like characters or impressions or accents or you know uh, dialects like Dana does. I'm just a stand-up, a really really good stand-up. But um, <laughs> so you know, I send in my tapes. Two weeks later, I get another call from Dana. Kev, I'm back at a Lauren Michaels house. I'm in the back bedroom. Guess who's in the kitchen? Steve Martin. What? Yes. Anyway, good news. Lauren, like your tapes, I think they're going to fly you in for an audition. I'm like, Steve Martin's in the kitchen? <laughs> you see, I wouldn't even believe it. So, you know, he goes, anyway, good news. Lauren, like your uh, tapes, I think we're going to fly you in for an audition. And I'm like, that's great. So I, I feel it's at least it's a free trip to New York, you know? And so I go in there and I go to 30 Rock and I go to Studio H. I do my audition. Two weeks later, I find myself sitting in a high rise in Beverly Hills across from Lauren. He's, uh, you know, offering me a job in SNL. And I said, thank you very much, Mr. Michaels. Let me think about it over the weekend. <laughs> and he saw right through. That's the way I roll. That's how I negotiate things. You know, that's how I massage the deal. How do you think I ended up on your show? I worked it. I worked it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just he saw say, right I through. Say, I just want to say, um, the audition for Lauren Michaels led to a paying gig. <laughs> this is free. Yeah, that's true. Well, I'm sure I got a lot of paying gigs out of this one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! You just a moment ago, you talked about how you know your jokes. Someone told you your jokes have like a 10 second delay. And it's playing out right here, right here on camera. Cappy, uh, let's talk about another one. Will Ferrell. You wrote um, that Will Ferrell's acceptance speech was your favorite. And you wrote this. We had 15 or 20 ceramic versions of the Mark Twain bus, which is bronze. You see it there. He came out on stage, ladies and gentlemen, Will Ferrell, and he actually dropped it. And it shattered into a thousand pieces. He put the pieces on the pedestal and then put Mark Twain's broken head on the pedestal and said, I'm going to treasure this forever. I tried to read this slowly enough so that folks could see what happens here, but this is the best part. When he puts, he puts the head there on the, on the broken bust, um, I don't know how many times, Cappy, that was, um, y'all rehearsed that or, or talked about that, but it made me wonder in watching in watching that bit, wondering who was of all the comedians you've honored, who who's your who's your favorite? And I know you you can't pick favorites because they're like they're all your kids, but which which awardee really lived up to the spirit of the Twain Prize? You know, they all live up to the spirit of the Twain Prize. They're all uh, funny. They've all you know. Neil Simon was our was our, our, our first uh, person we honored that was a writer. But they're all funny. They're all, I mean, you know, Kevin's heroes uh, are my heroes too. Steve Martin, uh, Bill Murray. I mean, Bill Murray was is the most incredibly nice person like ever. I took him into the White House and I started this tradition of taking all the 
Mark Twain Prize honorees into the Oval Office to do a photo op with uh, with the president, and then taking them on a tour of the uh, of the White House uh, in the afternoon. But Bill Murray, when I took Bill Murray and his family, uh, he literally stopped and shook everyone's hand. I, I don't care who you were at the White House, if you were a guard. He wanted to go in the kitchen. He met all the waiters and he looked everybody in the eye and he just was an incredibly nice person. And then we get into the Oval Office and and uh, the White House had called me a couple of weeks earlier and said, look, would Bill do an Affordable Health Care Act, Obamacare, public service announcement? And I, I said, sure, let me call him and ask him. And so I called Bill and he said, yes, uh, but I don't want, uh, I want to ad lib. I do, do not want any script at all. So we get to the White House a little early. We're in the cabinet room. This young kid comes in and gives Bill a script and says, uh, Mr. Murray, this is your script for the Affordable Health Care Act PSA. And Bill looked at me and goes, Cappy, I said, no script. And I said, <laughs> looked at this young kid and I said, look, the president's a great ad-libber. Go back in and tell him that wasn't the deal. Bill's doing ad-libbing. So we get in there, we do the photo op with the Mark Twain Prize and we exchange funnies. And uh, then, so uh, they start the Affordable Health Care Act PSA. And the president said, uh, you know, let's do a putting contest. And he put down a paper cup. And Bill says, I'm not putting in a paper cup. It doesn't clink. I want something that when I put it in, it clinks. And so the president yells out, anybody, we got a glass, a glass around here, a glass cup. So they bring a glass cup. President gives Bill a putter. And the president said, I'll bet you a dollar a hole. And Bill says, you're on. And the president is very competitive. Uh, <laughs> and he's not going to lose $1 to Bill Murray if he can help it. Bill putted every single ball in, and the president missed every single ball. And so they were talking back and forth about the Affordable Health Care Act. And Bill starts limping. And the president says, what's wrong? He says, oh, I got a, a, a bum a, I got a bum knee and a bum uh, hip. He said, well, do you have health care insurance? He said, no. He said, well, you know, you can sign up for the Affordable Health Care Act. And Bill says, pauses, comedic timing, perfect. He goes, well, does it take care of mental issues? And the president said, well, you know, as a matter of fact, Bill, it does. And so we're <laughs> walking out. President turns to me, said, you know, Kathy, do you play golf? I said, yeah, not very well. He said, well, you know, if you bet, you got to pay up at the end of the game. I said, yes, Mr. President, you owe Bill Murray $5. So the president turns to his aide and goes, do you have $5? I owe it to Bill Murray. <laughs> so... Uh, there was no pictures taken of that, but anyway, Bill took the box and said thank you. And then Bill and I actually went and put it on the Eisenhower Green right outside the Oval Office. So, you know, if I had to pick one moment uh, that was really fun in the Oval Office, it had to be with Bill Murray. Kevin, can I get you to talk about um, another Oval Office visit also with President Obama? And that was the interaction in 2015 between President Obama and Eddie Murphy. <laughs> well, I took Eddie in, and, uh, and and the president says, Eddie, you and I are the same age. You have no gray hair, and I've got a lot of gray hair. And Eddie said, well, Mr. President, you know, you've got a very stressful job. You, you know, you're, you know, you know, the head of the free world. And he said, all I do is make people laugh. And so the president, Obama, turned to me, and he said, well, Kathy, you know, I'm funny, aren't I? And, you know, when the president asks a question like that, you say, Mr. Yes, Mr. President, you are really funny. He said, and I've got good timing, don't I? I went, you have perfect timing. And uh, so the president says, well, you know, Eddie, I'm a big fan of yours. I know all the, I know uh, 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 raw and delirious by heart. And so I didn't, because of the subject matter and uh, the 
maybe some of the words in Raw and Delirious. I did not ask the president to quote any of those shows, but but the president was very gracious, and we went to the ran into the uh, to the Situation Room, and all these young kids that are got to be forty years or younger, and they're monitoring all the situation all over the world. They all stand up, and Eddie goes, "Sit down! I don't want the world to blow up." And uh, but anyway, Eddie was very gracious and took his picture to to every single uh, uh, person that was uh, in 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 that national security area. But it, it was a lot of fun. By the way, it was right before the Hillary Clinton uh, Obama uh, uh, Hillary Clinton Trump election in November, and this is October. And I'm taking Eddie and his family around on a tour of the White House, and Eddie's looking at the Ronald Reagan portrait that I'm behind him, and I go. Well, Eddie, welcome to the White House. Mommy and I are glad to have you here. Just don't rearrange the furniture. He turns around and he goes, you know, that's really, you know, that's, that's really good. Reagan do it anymore. I said, well, I'll do Carter. He said, well, let me hear your Carter. I go, well, the White House is a great example for Habitat for Humanity. He goes, well, you know, okay, well, you do anymore. I said, well, I'll do Clinton. I said, okay, I'll do Clinton. I, I hope Hillary wins. I'll be interviewing interns, if you know what I mean. Anyway. Eddie Murphy is a wonderful, come on, Jonathan. <laughs> He's a, he, Eddie is a wonderful guy and, and, and a really stand-up guy and one of the funniest guys around for sure. Mm -hmm. Kevin, Kevin um, have you met any presidents? Because I'm wondering, um, um, who do you think was the, our funniest, was our funniest president, either intentionally or unintentionally? <clears throat> well, there's been many, actually. I think the most underrated, well, prop-wise, was Abraham Lincoln. I mean, with the stovepipe hat. I mean, that's good stuff right there. <clears throat> but yeah, he was more of a prop comic. And a lot of people don't know this, during the Gettysburg Address, originally he had a lot of jokes sprinkled in there, how to take off the you know, onus of it all. Um, also, Theodore Roosevelt with a monocle. I mean, come on, does it get any better than that? <laughs> But I would say probably Obama is the most, you know, I mean, he was seen the most, you know, comedically, he, he was very good. You know, I mean, you see him at those um, correspondent dinners and, yeah, you know, yeah. Keegan Michael Key, you know, he's very open to, you know, I think he realized how much comedy takes a lot of the stress and pressure off of world events. You know, um, we, I think if I'm looking at the clock right, we've got a little more than five minutes. We can't talk comedy without talking about what just happened on the Oscar stage Sunday night. Comedian Chris Rock tells a joke about Will Smith's wife, Jada Pinkett Smith. And then next thing we know, it's the, there's the slap heard round the world. I would love for each of you just to talk about your either your reaction to the whether you thought the joke was an appropriate joke to tell your reaction to the slap Kathy, you go first oh yeah thanks jonathan i appreciate that it's, it's like not it, it, too many people have said too many too much stuff about this but i thought it was terrible uh will smith should not have done that uh, chris rock is a comedian he was trying to do, trying to be funny and trying to do a joke you know lenny bruce uh was uh, you know a, a a a provocative comedian. Uh, so was George Carlin, and so is Chris Rock. And Chris Rock may have said a joke that didn't sit well with people, but that was just uncalled for 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 Will Smith to go and slap him. I, 
my only suggestion is that comedians probably probably need to raise uh, you know a go GoFundMe page for for comedians to have uh, security. That's all I can say. And Kevin, as a as a stand up comedian, leave aside leave aside the joke, leave aside the comedian and what happened as a stand up comedian. How much do you take into account your own personal safety when you are up on stage and telling jokes? Well, a lot more now than uh, after that happened. <laughs> but um, I'm horrified right now because I see my computer's going to die. It says it's going to, it's running out of power soon. Um, I don't even know why I did that. But anyway, um, you know, it, that really did change a lot. My act is really not that aggressive or, you know, edgy. So I don't do those kinds of jokes where I'm, I'm more of a roast kind of a guy. Um, mine is more laid back. But I bet a lot of comics now will, will think twice and kind of, you know, watch the audience and make sure nobody's rushing the stage, you know, to uh, slap them or whatever. And, and Kevin, and I think Will tough. Smith. Go ahead. He should have been. I think he should have been ushered out of there. I mean, that was my biggest uh, complaint. And um, yeah, you know, it's absolutely. just it was just a crime. It was a crime that everybody witnessed around the world and. Um, I mean, look at with the Oscars. That must have been seen by over a thousand people. <laughs> <laughs> times a hundred, if my math is right, yeah. or maybe times a times a thousand, billions, maybe even billions of people. But in terms of the the the, uh, let's talk about that joke. Just as a joke, from a craftsman's perspective, Kevin, was it was it a good joke? I don't think it was a good joke, but regardless, you know, he shouldn't have been confronted like that. You know, he could have gone up to him afterwards and said, you know, hey, man, that was that was out of line. I really found that offensive. My wife, I don't even think, uh, you know, Chris knew that she had um, uh, that disease. So, you know, but I, I don't think it was the greatest joke. And it was it was, you know, it was a little unsettling. But still, no matter what, you know, we know Chris Rock. We know the kind of edginess he has. Mm hmm. Kathy, do you think that what happened to Chris Rock will have any kind of chilling effect on comedians or on comedy? I hope not. I mean, free speech is so important to our country. Comedians uh, say stuff uh, all the time that may or may not be a, a funny to some people. But, you know, I mean, you take the Dave Chappelle. Dave Chappelle uh, should not have been criticized for, for his closer deal. He He's, you know, need to lift up tr trans people, not take down Dave Chappelle. And it, it's very upsetting that people criticize comedians who try to be funny. They try to bring laughter in our lives. They try to bring joy in our lives. And, you know, sometimes humor d crosses the line and sometimes, and most of the time it doesn't, but we all need to be thankful that we have the free speech and the comedians can say whatever they want to say. And Kevin, in terms of, you know, that there is that fine line. And as Kathy said, when folks go over the line, I'm just wondering um, from your perspective as a comedian, uh, should comedians be held accountable for crossing over that line? Uh, first of all, if you lose me, thank you for having me on my show. I love talking to you. Um, but um, should they be held responsible? I agree with Cappy. It's freedom of speech. Um, you know, I guess there are some circumstances where you should be a little more respectful and uh, thoughtful, but I think that's up to the comedian. And if he's not, or she's not, then, you know, they, maybe they don't work as much. But well, yeah, so. I don't, I don't believe in, I don't believe in censorship or, um, you know, not having freedom of speech. 
Mm -hmm. Cappy, you were saying something real quick? No, I, uh, Kevin, you know, said the exact right thing. I mean, it, it is, it is up, it, uh, free speech is, is, is the cornerstone of our democracy and uh, we should not censorship at all. The Kennedy Center doesn't censor any comedian that gets on the stage and sometimes <laughs> that has been okay and other times maybe some comedians have crossed the line, but free speech is a very important thing in our, in our democracy and we need to make sure that comedians continue the satire and making fun of people. And, and uh, you know, sometimes we need to make sure that they make fun of people in the, in the right and correct way. We need to punch up, not punch down for sure. Mm -hmm. And just to be clear, you don't, they're not censored, censored when they're on the, when they're on the stage, but when it's broadcast on television, there's a bleep. <laughs> we don't get to hear, we don't get to hear the fun words um in their in their entirety uh kevin real fast because we are actually out of time but i'm dying to know where are you i'm in nashville tennessee is that your house or you're, no no you're no at a roadside bar i'm at a friend's house yeah who kind of uh -huh. designed it as a road roadside uh, bar oh you're very smart you know about that roadside bar thing <laughs> you must you know. be a big drinker <laughs> <laughs> And here I was going to say a reporter, but with that, actor, <laughs> comedian, Kevin Nealon, Cappy, Cappy McGar, author of, where's the name of your book? The Man Who Made Mark Twain Famous Stories from the Kennedy Center at the White House and other comedy venues. Thank you both very much for coming Jonathan, to Washington I just, Post Live. Jonathan, yeah? I just want to like, um, let you know that I have a book coming out too this fall. It's called oh, yeah. I Exaggerate. It's my brushes with fame, and it's a lot of caricatures I've, dri I've drawn about, you know, celebrities, and then an antidote on the opposite page talking about that uh, person. So I'm excited. Ooh. It'll be out in October. Very in nice. October. Read it, Kevin. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank great. You. Well, you know what, Kevin? That's a great way to invite yourself back. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's right. <laughs> That's why I did it. Clever. Clever, Kevin Nealon. <laughs> Kevin, Cappy, again, thank you for joining us today. Jonathan, well done. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jonathan. Bye, Cappy. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.